Book Three, Chapter Four of *The Cathedral* by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, Sunday, June twenty, in the bedroom. Brandon had been talking to the precentor at the far end of the ballroom when suddenly Ronder had appeared in their midst. Appeared the only word, and Brandon, armoured he had thought for every terror that that night might bring to him, had been suddenly seized with the lust of murder, a lust as dominating as any other that swept upon him in a hot flaming tide, lapping him from head to foot it was no matter this time of words of senses of thoughts but of his possession by some other man who filled his brain his eyes his mouth his stomach his heart one second more and he would have flung himself upon that smiling face those rounded limbs he would have caught that white throat and squeezed it squeezed squeezed the room literally swam in a tide of impulse that carried him against ronder's body and left him there breast beating against breast he turned without a word and almost ran from the place he passed through the passages seeing no one conscious of neither voices nor eyes climbing stairs that he did not feel sheltering in that lonely little room sitting there his hands to his face shuddering the lust slowly withdrew from him leaving him icy cold then he lifted his eyes and saw his daughter and clung to her as just then he would have clung to anybody for safety had it come to this then that he was mad all that night lying on his bed he surveyed himself that was the way that men murdered no longer could he claim control or mastery of his body god had deserted him and given him over to devils his son his wife and now god his loneliness was terrible and he could not think he must think about this letter and what he should do he could not think at all he was given over to the devils after matins in the cathedral next day one thought came to him he would go and see the bishop the bishop had come in from carpleton for the jubilee celebrations and was staying at the deanery brandon spoke to him for a moment after matins and asked him whether he might see him for half an hour in the afternoon on a matter of great urgency the bishop asked him to come at three o'clock seated in the dean's library with its old-fashioned coziness its bookshelves and the familiar books the cases between the high windows of his precious butterflies brandon felt for the first time for many days a certain calm descend upon him the bishop looking very frail and small in the big armchair received him with so warm an affection that he felt in spite of his own age like the old man's son my lord he began with difficulty moving his big limbs in his chair like a restless schoolboy it isn't easy for me to come to-day there's no one in the world i could speak to except yourself i find it difficult even to do that my son said the bishop gently i am a very very old man i cannot have many more months to live when one is as near to death as i am one loves everything and everybody because one is going so soon you needn't be afraid 
and in his heart he must have wondered at the change in this man who through so many years now had come to him with so much self-confidence and assurance i have had much trouble lately brandon went on but i would not have bothered you with that knowing as i do all that you have to consider just now were it not that for the first time in my life i seem to have lost control and to be heading toward some great disaster that may bring scandal not only on myself but on the church as well tell me your trouble said the bishop nine months ago i seemed to be at the very height of my powers my happiness my usefulness brandon paused was it really only nine months back that other time i had no troubles i was confident in myself my health was good my family were happy i seemed to have many friends then suddenly everything changed i don't want to seem false my lord in anything that i may say but it was literally as though in the course of a night all my happiness forsook me it began with my boy being sent down from oxford i have only one boy as i think your lordship knows he was he is in spite of what has happened very dear to me brandon paused yes i know said the bishop after that everything began to go wrong little things tiny little things one after another some one came to this town who almost at once seemed to put himself into opposition to me brandon paused once more the bishop said again yes i know at first brandon went on i didn't realize this i was preoccupied with my work it had never at any time in my life seemed to me healthy to consider about other people's minds what they were thinking or imagining there is quite enough work to do in the world without that but soon i was forced to consider this man's opposition to me it came before me in a thousand little ways the attitude of the chapter changed to me especially noticeable at one of the chapter meetings i don't want to make my story so long my lord that it will tire you to cut it short a day came when my boy ran off to london with a town girl the daughter of the landlord of one of the more disreputable public-houses that was a terrible devastating blow to me i have quite literally not been the same man since i was determined not to allow it to turn me from my proper work i still loved the boy he had not behaved dishonourably to the girl he has now married her and is earning his living in london if that had been the only blow he stopped cleared his throat and turning excitedly towards the bishop almost shouted but it is not it is not my lord my enemy has never ceased his plots for one instant it was he who advised my boy to run off with this girl he has turned the whole town against me they laugh at me and mock me and now he now he he could not for a moment find breath he exercised an impulse of almost superhuman self-control bringing his body visibly back into bounds again he went on more quietly we are in opposite camps over this matter of the pibus living we are in opposition over almost every question that arises here he is an able man i must do him that justice he can plot he can scheme whereas i brandon beat his hands desperately on his knees it is not only this man he cried not only this 
it is as though there were some larger conspiracy something from heaven itself god has turned his face away from me when i have served him faithfully all my days no one has served him more wholeheartedly than i he has been my only thought his glory my only purpose nine months ago i had health i had friends i had honour i had my family now my health is going my friends have forsaken me i am mocked at by the lowest men in the town my son has left me my my he broke off bending his face in his hands the bishop said my dear friend you are not alone in this we have all been tried like this tested tested brandon broke out why should i be tested what have i done in all my life that is not acceptable to god what sin have i committed what disloyalty have i shown but there is something more that i must tell you my lord the reason why i have come to you to-day canon ronder and i you must have known of whom i have been speaking had a violent quarrel one afternoon on the way home after luncheon with you at carpleton this quarrel became in one way or another the town's property ronder affected to like me but it was impossible now for him to hide his real intentions towards me this thing began to be an obsession with me i tried to prevent this i knew what the danger of such obsessions can be but there was something else my wife he paused went on my wife and i my lord have lived together in perfect happiness for twenty years at least it had seemed to me to be perfect happiness she began to behave strangely she was not herself undoubtedly the affair of our son disturbed her desperately she seemed to avoid me to escape from me when she could this coming with my other troubles made me feel as though i were in some horrible dream as though the very furniture of our home and the appearance of the streets were changing i began to be afraid sometimes that i might be going mad i have had bad headaches that have made it difficult for me to think then only last night a woman brought me a letter i wish you most earnestly to believe my lord that i believe my wife to be absolutely loyal to me loyal in every possible sense of the word the letter purported to be in her handwriting and in this matter also canon ronder had had some hand the woman admitted that she had been first to canon ronder and that he had advised her to bring it to me the bishop made a movement you will of course say nothing of this my lord to canon ronder i have come privately to ask your prayers for me and to have your counsel i am making no complaint against canon ronder i must see this thing through by myself but last night when my mind was filled with this letter i found myself suddenly next to canon ronder and i had a murderous impulse that was so fierce and sudden in its power that i he broke off shuddering then cried suddenly stretching out his hands oh my lord pray for me pray for me help me i, I don't know what to do i'm given over to the powers of hell a long silence followed then the bishop said you have asked me to say nothing to canon ronder and of course i must respect your confidence but the first thing that i would say to you is that i think that what you have feared has happened that you have allowed this thought of him to become an obsession to you 
the ways of god are mysterious and past our finding out but all of us in our lives have known that time when everything was suddenly turned against us our work those whom we love our health even our belief in god himself my dear dear friend i myself have known that several times in my life once when i was a young man i lost an appointment on which my whole heart was set and lost it as it seemed through an extreme injustice it turned out afterwards that my losing that was one of the most fortunate things for me once my dear wife and i seemed to lose all our love for one another and i was assailed with most desperate temptation and the end of that was that we loved and understood one another as we had never done before once and this was the most terrible period of my life and it continued over a long time i lost as it seemed completely all my faith in god i came out of that believing only in the beauty of christ's life clinging to that and saying to myself such a friend have i then life is not all lost to me and slowly gradually i came back into touch with him and knew him as i had never known him before and through him once again god the father and now even in my old age temptation is still with me i long to die i am tempted often to look upon men and women as shadows that have no longer any connection with me i am very weak and feeble and i wish to sleep but the love of god continues and through jesus christ the love of men it is the only truth love of god love of man the rest is fantasy and unreality look up my son bear this with patience god is standing at your shoulder and will be with you to the end this is training for you to show you perhaps that all through life you have missed the most important thing you are learning through this trouble your need of others your need to love them and that they should love you the only lesson worth learning in life the bishop came over to brandon and put his hand on his head strange peace came into brandon's heart not from the old man's word but from the contact with him the touch of his thin trembling hand the room was filled with peace ronder was suddenly of little importance the cathedral faded for a time he rested for the rest of that day until evening that peace stayed with him with it still in his heart he came late that night into their bedroom mrs brandon was in bed awake staring in front of her not moving he sat down in the chair beside the bed stretched out his hand and took hers amy dear he said i want us to have a little talk her little hand lay still and hot in his large cool one i've been very unhappy he went on with difficulty lately about you i have seen that you yourself are not happy i want you to be i will do anything that is in my power to make you so you would not she said without looking at him have trouble to think of me had not your own private affairs gone wrong and had not falk left us the sound of her hostility irritated him against his will he beat the irritation down he felt suddenly very tired 
quite exhausted he had an almost irresistible temptation to go down into his dressing-room lie on his sofa there and go instantly to sleep that's not quite fair amy he said but we won't dispute about that i want to know why after our being happy for twenty years something now has come in between us or seems to have done so i want to clear that away if i can so that we can be as we were before be as they were before at the strange ludicrous irony of that phrase she turned on her elbow and looked at him stared at him as though she could not see enough of him why do you think that there is anything the matter she asked softly almost gently why of course i can see he said holding her hand more tightly as though the sudden gentleness in her voice had touched him when one has lived with someone a long time he went on rather awkwardly one notices things of course i've seen that you were not happy and falk leaving us in that way must have made you very miserable it made me miserable too he added suddenly stroking her hand a little she could not bear that and very quietly withdrew her hand did it really hurt you falk's going she asked still staring at him hurt me he cried staring back at her in utter astonishment hurt me why 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 then why she went on didn't you go up to london after him the question was so entirely unexpected that he could only repeat why oh well it doesn't matter now she said wearily turning away perhaps i did wrong i think perhaps i've done wrong in many ways during these last years i am seeing many things for the first time the truth is i have been so absorbed in my work that i've thought of nothing else i took it too much for granted that you were happy because i was happy and now i want to make it right i do indeed amy tell me what's the matter she said nothing he waited for a long time her immobility always angered him he said at last more impatiently please tell me amy what have you against me i have nothing against you then why are things wrong between us are things wrong you know they are ever since that morning when you wouldn't come down to holy communion i was tired that morning it is more than tiredness he said with sudden impatience beating upon the counterpane with his fist amy you're not behaving fairly you must talk to me i insist on it she turned once more towards him what is it you want me to say why you're unhappy but if i am not unhappy you are but suppose i say that i am not you are you are you are he shouted at her very well then i am why are you who is happy really at any rate for more than a moment only very thoughtless and silly people you're putting me off he took her hand again i'm to blame amy to blame in many ways but people are talking she snatched her hand away people talking who but as though that mattered it does matter it has gone far much farther than i thought she looked at him then quickly and turned her face away again who's talking 
And what are they saying?' "'They are saying—' he broke off. What were they saying? Until the arrival of that horrible letter he had not realized that they were saying anything at all. "'Don't think for a single moment, Amy, that I pay the slightest attention to any of their talk. I would not have bothered you with any of this had it not been for something else, of which I'll speak in a moment. If everything is right between us, between you and me, then it doesn't matter if the whole world talks until it's blue in the face.' "'Leave it alone, then,' she said. "'Let them talk.' Her indifference stung him. She didn't care, then, whether things were right between himself and her or no. It was the same to her. She cared so little for him. That sudden realization struck him so sharply that it was as though someone had hit him in the back. For many years he had taken it for granted— taken something for granted that was not to be so taken. Very dimly someone was approaching him, that dark, misty, gigantic figure blotting out the light from the windows. That figure was becoming, day by day, more closely his companion. Looking at her now more intently, and with a new urgency, he said, "'Someone brought me a letter, Amy. They said it was a letter of yours.' She did not move, nor stir. Then, after a long silence, she said, "'Let me see it.' He felt in his pocket and produced it. She stretched out her hand and took it. She read it through slowly. "'You think that I wrote this?' she asked. "'No, I know that you did not.' "'To whom was it supposed to be written?' "'To Morris, of St. James.' She nodded her head. "'Ah, yes, we're friends.' That's why they chose him. Of course it's a forgery, she added, a very clever one. What I don't understand, he said eagerly, at his heart the strangest relief that he did not dare to stop to analyze, is why anyone should have troubled to do this, the risk, the danger. You have enemies, she said. Of course you know that. People who are jealous. One enemy, he answered fiercely, Ronder. The woman had been to him with this letter before she came to me. The woman? What woman? The woman who brought it to me was a Miss Milton, a wretched creature who was once at the library. And she had been with this to Canon Ronder before she came to you? Yes. Ah! Then she said very quietly, And what do you mean to do about the letter? I will do whatever you wish me to do. What I would like to do is to leave no step untaken to bring the authors of this forgery to justice. No step. I will— No, she broke in quickly. It is much better to leave it alone. What good can it do to follow it up? It only tells everyone about it. We should despise it. The thing is so obviously false. Why, you can see, suddenly holding the letter towards him, it isn't even like my writing— my S's, my M's, they're not like that. No, no, he said eagerly. I see that they are not. I saw that at once. You knew at once that it was a forgery? I knew at once. I never doubted for an instant. She sighed, then settled back into the pillow with a little shudder. This town, she said, the things they do. Oh, to get away from it, to get away— and we will, 
he cried eagerly. That's what we need, both of us, a holiday. I've been thinking it over. We're both tired. When this jubilee is over, we'll go abroad. Italy, Greece. We'll have a second honeymoon. Oh, Amy, we'll begin life again. I've been much to blame, much to blame. Give me that letter. I'll destroy it. I know my enemy, but I'll not think of him or of any one but our two selves. I'll be good to you now, if you'll let me. She gave him the letter. Look at it before you tear it up, she said, staring at him, as though she would not miss any change in his features. You're sure that it is a forgery? Why, of course. It's nothing like my handwriting? Nothing at all. You know that I am devoted to you, that I would never be untrue to you in thought, word, or deed? Why, of course, of course, as though I didn't know. And that I'll love to come abroad with you? Yes, yes. And that we'll have a second honeymoon? Yes, yes, indeed, Amy, we will. Look well at that letter. You are wrong. It is not a forgery. I did write it. He did not answer her but stayed staring at the letter like a boy detected in a theft. She repeated, "'The woman was quite right. I did write that letter.' Brandon said, staring at her, "'Don't laugh at me. This is too serious. I'm not laughing. I wrote it. I sent it down by Gladys. If you recall the day to her, she'll remember.' She watched his face. It had turned suddenly grey, as though someone had slipped a grey mask over the original features. She thought, "'Now perhaps he'll kill me. I'm not sorry.' He whispered, leaning quite close to her, as though he were afraid she would not hear, "'You wrote that letter to Morris?' "'I did.' Then, suddenly springing up, half out of bed, she cried, you're not to touch him, do you hear? You're not to touch him. It's not his fault. He's had nothing to do with this. He's only my friend. I love him, but he doesn't love me, do you hear? He's had nothing to do with this. You love him? whispered Brandon. I've loved him since the first moment I saw him. I've wanted someone to love for years, years and years and years. You didn't love me, so then I hoped Falk would, and Falk didn't, so then I found the first person, anyone who would be kind to me. And he was kind, he is kind, the kindest man in the world, and he saw that I was lonely, so that he let me talk to him and go to him. But none of this is his doing, he's only been kind, he— Your letter says, dearest, said Brandon, if you wrote that letter, it says, Dearest. That was my foolishness. It was wrong of me. He told me that I mustn't say anything affectionate. He's good, and I'm bad, and I'm bad because you've made me. Brandon took the letter and tore it into little pieces. They scattered upon the counterpane. You've been unfaithful to me, he said, bending over her. She did not shrink back, although that strange, unknown, grey face was very close to her. Yes, at first he wouldn't. He refused anything. But I would. I wanted to be. I hate you. I've hated you for years. Why? His hand closed on her shoulder. Because of your conceit and pride. Because you've never thought of me. Because I've always been a piece of furniture to you. 
less than that because you've been so pleased with yourself and self-satisfied and stupid yes yes most because you're so stupid so stupid never seeing anything never knowing anything and always so satisfied and when the town was pleased with you and said you were so fine i've laughed knowing what you were and i thought to myself there'll come a time when they'll find him out and now they have they know what you are at last and i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad she stopped her breast rising and falling beneath her nightdress her voice shrill almost a scream he put his hands on her thin bony shoulders and pushed her back into the bed his hands moved to her throat his whole weight he now kneeling on the bed was on top of her kill me kill me she whispered i'll be glad all the while their eyes stared at one another inquisitively as though they were strangers meeting for the first time his hands met around her throat his knees were over her he felt her thin throat between his hands and a voice in his ear whispered that's right squeeze tighter splendid splendid suddenly his eyes recognized hers his hands dropped he crawled from the bed then he felt his way blindly out of the room end of book 3 chapter 4